We're in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 is where we're going to pick up today. And what Jesus has just done in the prior verses, verses 10 through 14, is he's shown us his heart for those little ones, those that stray, those that have gone off and they have erred from the truth. In fact, he has in one verse, he says that he has joy over their repentance. And he says he's excited, he's happy when they come back. He says in the last verse, in verse 14, he says, I don't want any, in fact, it's God's will for none to perish, none to have that ultimate destruction. He wants them to come back. He wants to save them from the damage that sin can do. But now he switches in verse 15 to saying, from saying, here's what my heart is to now how we need to treat people when they sin against us. So if anything, we're kind of getting where, if you want to say it, where the rubber hits the road a little bit on this forgiveness thing. This is what it really starts to look like. Not just principles, but now what are we going to do when somebody sins against us? And I want to just take a moment to read this text. And um, I don't think I've done this since I've been here. And y'all are going to think it's strange because I used to do this all the time. But I'm going to do it if y'all are okay with this. And y'all not too scared if I ask you to do this. Would y'all stand while I read the word of God? Again, I used to do it all the time. And I've just sort of not done it here lately, but I just feel the need to do that this morning. I hope you'll do that. It's just something that's not required by the scripture, but I think it shows a measure of respect and honor for the reading of the word. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, down to verse 20. Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, tell him to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Would you pray with me as we hear, after we've heard the Lord's words? Lord, I pray that you will help us to hear what you're saying, help us to apply what you're saying. Help us to obey what you're saying. Lord, I, I can't speak for everybody in this room, but I can speak for myself. We're carrying around a whole lot of resentment and bitterness. The things that people have done against us. Real things, serious things. But help us to follow your word in handling that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Y'all ever heard of the phrase... Um, there's an elephant in the room that we need to deal with, that idea we need to deal with the elephant in the room. Um, in case you haven't, let me explain this to you. Not too much explained. This will be pretty clear in just a moment. Um, there's a, there was a church that I knew that was trying to hire a secretary for the church. It's sort of a bigger church. They need a secretary. I think it was a part-time situation. They need to have a secretary for the church. Um, and they had hired somebody in the past and they'd had some bad experiences. So they were trying to navigate around this. They didn't want to have that happen again. And 
one of the regulations they put into place as they were looking to hire somebody was that person could not be a member of the church when they hired them. They wanted to hire somebody that was not a member of the church. And you get to ask them, well, why don't they want somebody that's a member of the church? Well, the last person they had was a member of the church, was very intimately involved. Actually, I'm sorry, I apologize. That person was not a member of the church, but they're very intimately involved in the workings of the church. And they just happened to be a real bad gossip. They liked to tell everything they knew. So they knew everything was going on, so they would tell everybody, so they wouldn't want nobody that's a member of the church so that if that person does that again, it won't hurt people as bad. Now, if you understand what's going on here, you're understanding that the problem was not that the person was or was not a member of the church. The elephant in the room is that you had a person that didn't have good sense to talk about people. Do you understand that? So the elephant in the room is, I don't care if you hire what you hire, but you might want to actually say that you're not supposed to talk about people. <laughs> and when they do, deal with it. Do you see how that's an elephant in the room? It, it, it's actually something that if you don't address it by trying to dance around and get around the edges of it, you actually create more confusion and more damage, more problems. You could actually actually end up threatening. And in this case, I know it was very difficult for them to hire somebody because they were trying like, like mad to avoid this bad situation in the past without ever going directly to the problem. And it actually makes it so it's almost impossible to do what they're trying to do. And it actually at some point begins to become a thing where you even stop representing what you're trying to be. Because again, if you think about it, I'm not saying you can't be a member of your church. I'm sorry, I'm not suggesting that a church secretary should not be a member of the church or must be a member of the church. But if it's a requirement, I mean, maybe you want the job. Well, I'll just leave the church and I'll work for the church to leave. How much sense? You've lost the, you've lost the point. You see what I'm getting at? You've lost the point. But all that illustrates, I believe, what happens when we gloss over or dance around sin. If you look at what Jesus says in verse 15, he says, this is Jesus talking, he says, moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee. This is what he's about to say. He says, I want you to know when somebody sinned, that word trespass, it's sin against you. They have done wrong against you. What he's not saying is when somebody hurts your feelings, He's not saying when somebody holds a different opinion than you, when somebody lives their life in a different way than you. That's not what he's saying. We all have things that we have as convictions or ways we want to live, and I don't like the way you do it because I live my life different. That's not what he's talking about. That's not at all what he's talking about. He says they trespass against you. It's not being bothered by somebody or some perceived slight. It's, it, we're in this world that we live in, and it just maybe it's a human condition, but I think it's, it's exacerbated, especially in the church world where we're all so easily offended by everything. Oh, I just don't like, you didn't talk to me. You didn't, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being sinned against someone who is hurt. And, and, and Jesus is talking about taking that sin very seriously. Trespassing, breaking the law of God, disobeying God. This is what he's talking about. And in the process, particularly, he's saying here, they've trespassed against thee. You're presumably, and this is who he's talking to, he's talking to his little ones. And if you go up to the early part of this chapter, Jesus takes that kind of aggression against his little ones very seriously. So I'm just trying to get you to see that this is not a, they snubbed me, or they didn't ask me to do this or that or the other thing. That's not what we're talking about here. 
Can I just be, and I'm being, I'm being mean, and I know that. I'm going to be mean for just a second. I'll be, I'll be Mr. Matthew, nice guy in just a second. I'm going to be real mean. Some of y'all just need to get over it and hush and stop. That's not the way we're supposed to live. Now, on the other hand, when we're talking about trespass against somebody, sins against you, they've broken God's law. They have done damage to you. They have hurt you in a very real way in these kinds of things. This is something Jesus does take very seriously. And in the process, and I want to make sure you understand that what I'm trying to get across here is that this is part of the process of forgiveness. Unfortunately, in the process of forgiveness, we are so quick to jump to the forgiveness. Oh, it's okay. I don't hold feelings against you or whatever. That we forget that there's a reason that there's forgiveness necessary. Do, do you understand that? That there's a reason that we need to forgive because there was sin that was accomplished against us. Somebody, if they really need forgiveness, by the way, can I just back up and say, if they didn't sin against you, you need to hush. You need to get over it and quit, quit complaining. But they sinned about, sinned against you. That's what he's saying here. If they sinned against you, there's forgiveness that needs to be gotten to, but you can't ever get there until you go through this journey of understanding and addressing their sin. What we often do is, and I'm talking to church folk, I understand that. I'm, I'm talking from a church I've been in church all my life, all my life, and that's all I know. <laughs> so I know how we are. I know what kind of hypocrites we are. We like to ignore. We like to talk around sin. We, we, we pride ourselves in forgive and forget, and it sounds all spiritual, but what ends up happening is because we never actually address the problem, we end up with parents who overlook, cover up, make excuses for their children's misdeeds and often even crimes. I mean, actual legitimate crimes. We've got Christian schools that I know of who have turned blind eyes to sinful behavior of people on their staff. We've got pastors who can explain away the sins of the wealthy people in the church. Oh, you know, good old so-and-so. He's got, he's got a good attitude. He thinks he, that's not, he just took that the wrong way. No, no, what he's doing is a sin, but you're overlooking it because he gives enough money to the church to, to be okay with it. We roll our eyes at the hateful church ladies who just telling the truth, just telling the truth about everybody they can get gossip on. And we get to this place where we have confusion over what forgiveness actually means. It gets all mired up. I mean, it is actually, I'm on a soapbox. Y'all understand that? This, this, this is something that, it gripes me. So bad it gripes me. It is pandemic in churches. Evangelical, not you can go down to all the way down to where we are. Southern Baptist churches, but you can go to churches, Baptist churches, evangelical churches, all kinds of Christian churches. It is pandemic that we are, as churches, we are letting pedophiles and abusers run rampant in our pulpits and in our pews. They're everywhere, and we let them go because we forgive them. We've never addressed their sin, not once. This is what we do wrong and what we're, what we're willing to do. And I know this because I'm a preacher and it is easy for me to preach against the sin of lemons out there. Ewan's in here. It's hard to preach against your sin because I got to look at you. <laughs> I got to talk to you after the service and you're going to look at me in the eye and, and you're not going to tell me that was a good sermon. 
Or if you are, you're going to in your heart say, well, I can't wait to get you out. You understand, it's easy to preach about them because they ain't in here to hear it. But we have to understand that if we don't address the sin in here, we will never get to true forgiveness. This is what he's talking about here. We have to address the sin. We have to address the sin because, first of all, it is what rescues our brothers and our sisters from the danger that, they are, that they're in. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. You have gotten him. You have saved him. You have gotten him back to yourself. You have won him. He is now your brother again. Because too many, too many of us, if you know anything about chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, and I say this to my own, own shame, I look at that passage as a process for dealing with people. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. I, I, it's a decent process. It's helpful. It helps you kind of think through things. But I don't think that's his goal. His goal is not a process view that you go to the person first and then you go with witnesses and then you bring the church in and then you vote them out. I don't think that's what he's got in mind when he's talking about this. Not ultimately. The goal here is, he says it there at the last part of verse 15. Look what he says. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. We are called to address sin the exact same way that Jesus does. Do you know how Jesus addressed sin? Let me just remind you. Y'all got your Bibles open? Go to chapter 18. Go to verse 12. Around, yeah, yeah verse, verse 11. Start in verse 11. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Go to verse 12. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains, seeketh that which is gone astray? You, you understand that Jesus is not changing the subject. He's not changing his point of view. It's the same idea. He's saying, here's how I do it. There's one that's off in sin. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm, no, no cost is too high to pay to go after that one. I'm going to go after him because I want to save them. I want to bring them back. He even talks about rejoicing when they're, when they're in, when they get them at home. In verse 15, he's saying, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to go to them and win them back. You need to win them back because, I mean, you think about the analogy he's using there about the sheep that's gone astray. What's going to happen to that sheep if the shepherd doesn't find him? He's going to die. The sheep needs the shepherd to know how to live and where to go and how to eat and take care. Your brothers that sinned against you, your sisters that sinned against you, if you don't deal with their sin, if I don't deal with their sin, what we have done is we have essentially said, go on. You go on, you keep sinning. That's what we're saying. We have to address that sin because it is necessary for them to be, to be salvaged, to not to be destroyed. This is not a revenge mission. This is the thing we have to get in our minds. It's not a revenge mission. It's a rescue mission. It's the way James talks about it in James chapter 5. He says, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. That's what we're after here. And I'm telling you that because y'all can't tell I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to y'all. That what I want to do when a brother sins against me is I want to smack him upside the head. <laughs> Listen to me, boy, what you did to me. Stop it. 
It's not Jesus' attitude here. His attitude is to make sure that we address the sin. Hey, you did something that's wrong. You broke God's law. There's a sin here. You need to deal with this sin. Why? Not so I can get my punches in, I can get my licks in, but so that I can actually salvage him for salvation. I'm literally warning that there's a bridge out and he's heading across it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to... And actually, in fact, in that way, uh, confronting sin is literally the most loving thing that we can do. And if we're not willing to address sin in the pursuit of forgiveness, if all we're trying to get to is some kind of closure or some kind of peace in our hearts or whatever that is, and it's just about us, if that's all we're caring about, if that's all we're concerned about, is just, I just wish it'll go away. Again, I'm telling y'all what's on my mind. That's what I want to happen. But if that's all we're doing, we might as well just be saying, I just let him go to hell. They didn't go on to hell. I don't care. We need to address sin because it, it ultimately will rescue our brother from danger. We need to address sin because it will restore the fellowship that we have. He says there in verse 15 that success is happening when he hears us. And that word here in the King James Version, it's actually in, it's four times used in verses 15, 16, and 17. Uh, that he's saying there, we want them to hear. That's a, clearly a very important concept that he wants them to hear. What is he saying? That he just wants the, the words to go over their ears? No, he wants them to hear the way my mama wanted me to hear her when she told me what to do. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about. Matthew, do you hear me? Well, yeah, mom, I heard you the first 12 times you said it. Well, you ain't doing nothing about it. Are you hearing me, Matthew? You ain't hearing me if you're not doing it. The point of that here, it's that, that's the sense in which he means this. It's not just the words crashing over your ears. It's actually taking them seriously, treating the words with respect, considering the weight of them, understanding, you just told me I broke the law of God, and if that's true, then I had better get this right. That's what he means by here. That's what he's talking about there. So he's, he's trying to make sure that we're getting to that point where we understand the implications of our sin. Because if you know what, it, what it's going to do to you, you know what you do? I mean, really. Let, let, let's, let's, can, can we just, nobody else is here. It's just us talking. You know those sins that you've done and you're real ashamed of? You know what I'm talking about? You know what would have stopped you from that sin? If you'd have thought for half a second about what is going to happen when you do it. What we do, y'all may be different than me, but I tell you what I do. Whenever that, that temptation of sin comes, do it real quick. Because you, you, you don't want to think about it. it that rage prayer bulls up into you. That, that lust comes across you. Whatever. You, you want to pursue it. You want to do it. You don't want to think about it. Because that's when you think about it, you know what happens? You really, especially if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you know what happens? Conviction hits in. No, I better not. That's what you and I, when somebody sins against us, when we go to them and we show them, here's what you've done. This is the sin that you've accomplished against me. You need to understand this. And, we, and it, then the Holy Spirit convicts them as a result of that. The result is going to be repentance. They're going to turn from that. And this is why we go to them. Paul says in Romans 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? How are they supposed to know that they sinned against you? What do you say? Well, they ought to know. They just know. Well, maybe they do. But God has said in his word, when someone sins against you, go to him. Go to them. Go to them. 
Yes, you're supposed to go privately at first, but then in verse 16, if they haven't heard, they didn't hear you the first time, verse 15, he says then in verse 16, then you go with witnesses. Why are you going with witnesses? So that they'll hear you, that you want to make sure they understand. Clearly, they didn't understand the first time. They weren't listening. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't repent. We want to make sure there's clarity, make sure there's understanding. And this is what God uses to bring us to repentance. But if they can't be bothered to hear and ultimately repent, there just can't be any fellowship. Look what he says in verse 17. If you neglect to hear them, these are the witnesses, then tell it to the church. And if they neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. He says, listen, you, you should try. You should go to them with people. Go to make sure the church gets involved if you need to. You need to get all the resources you have available to put it against this problem, to make sure they know that there is, that there's sin that's been done. It's, it's, if they will not respond to that, you have to acknowledge the, the reality. I've heard it said before, when people show you what they are, believe them. And here's a case where you've gone to somebody in true sincerity and all good faith to say, listen, you've sinned against me. This is what the God's word said. And they're like, no, I ain't done nothing. What are you talking about? You bring some brothers and sisters along. Hey, can you help him understand this? No, what are you talking about? Get the whole church involved and they're like, oh, forget you. They've told you what they are. They've told you there can't be fellowship there. You might love them. In fact, it's not about shunning them or being hateful to them. In fact, uh, Paul writes this in Thessalonians that if any man obey not our word, have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet, yet, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's not about shunning people or shutting people out of your life. That's, I'll just be honest. I think some of that stuff is, is, is devilish cutting people out of our lives. I, I mean, there's a little bit, there's a, there's a place where they have left us and I understand we may not be good to pursue them anymore, but trying to shun people and trying to, trying to make, a, make a scene about stuff, that's not what he's trying to say here. Not at all. It's ultimately saying we're trying to pursue reconciliation, trying to address sin so that they can come back and be part of the family of God and they can be actually in fellowship with us. We also need to rep uh, address our sin because addressing sin reflects and re represents our Savior. It reflects his heart. Why does all this matter so much? We should love people enough to rescue them. We should want reconciliation. In fact, we're actually first or second Corinthians chapters. Five, chapter 5 there, he talks about how we are ministers of reconciliation. We've been given this ministry. That's our job. This is something we've been called to. And we should want it enough to carry through, to follow through with it. But we also need to recognize who we really are. This passage has told us that we're his little ones. If we've come to him in faith, if, if, if we come to him and we're trusting him and him alone, we are his. We're his little ones. We're his. And we're not just individuals running. If you're, if you're, put it in plain language here. If you're a Christian this morning, if you say, my home is heaven, I have Jesus as my savior, you are no longer an independent contractor. You can't set your own rules. You don't represent yourself. As Paul writes in one of the epistles, he says, we don't live to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves. 
We represent something bigger. We represent something more. In fact, the way Peter writes it, he says we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who called us out of his dark, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We as Christians represent the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Can I just let that sink in on you for just a minute? You are not for yourself. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are somebody else. You're representing somebody else. You are part of the family of God. And there are benefits to that. We get heaven. We, we get our sins forgiven. Thank the Lord. But there are responsibilities that come with that. My daddy always told me, he said, son, never forget you're a Tilly. Now that may not mean a thing to y'all because y'all ain't Tilly's. But we're better than everybody else, and you need to know that. Um, but in seriousness, he said, don't forget you're a Tilly. You represent our family. That's what he was saying. You, what you do when you go out on your own, you represent our family. You are not just yourself. And the same thing goes for you as a Christian. You represent Jesus Christ. And he has, in verses 18 and 19, where he talks about you can bind things on earth, and they'll be bound in heaven and all that. That discussion, he's essentially saying... If you represent Jesus, he's giving you authority individually, but collectively. Oh, my goodness. The power of Jesus's church is amazing. We're allowed to do things. We are. We actually can can bind together. We can agree together. We can work on things together. We can accomplish things. What happens with God's people is supposed to reflect what happens in heaven. It's a side note. That's why we come together on Sundays and worship. We're getting ready for Revelation chapter five. When there's a day where we're all people from all tribes and races and nations and all places are gathered around the throne of Jesus and we're worshiping Jesus. And you say, well, I sure hope my worship is a little bit, our worship is a little bit better than mine. I hope mine is too. But that's when we're going to be in heaven. We're just practicing right now. That's what we're doing. But what we're saying is that what we do now is a reflection of what goes on in heaven. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Don't you dare say you're perfect because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's not the point. But the point is God gives his people some sense. Do you not, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to be judged the small, to judge the smallest matter? Know you not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. So we have the, if we represent Jesus, we have his authority. We also have in the last, the last part of our text, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. We literally have the presence of God with us. Let me make sure I get this real plain to y'all. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Everywhere you go, you've got God living. Now think about this. What do we got here? About 400, 500 people here this morning. About that many people here this morning. We have this concentration, especially if, there, if, if even half of y'all are Christians. There's a concentration of the power and the presence of God in this building this morning. God's gathered church represents power and presence that is beyond anything that's imaginable. That's what we have. And when we have, when we're God's people about God's business, God himself is in the middle of this whole thing. 
And that is all simply prelude to ask this simple question. If we're not addressing sin as Christians and as a church, are we forfeiting his power and his presence? Because we're not willing to deal with the sin that's in front of us. In our struggle to forgive, I think too many of us are focused on what we deserve. Maybe even saving face. But we fail to reflect the heart of the Savior. And in doing so, I think that we can talk about forgiveness till we're blue in the face. But there will not be any real forgiveness because we've missed out on the power and the presence of God. Because when, when Jesus' heart is to go after the one that's in sin, to correct them, repent, have them repent, and come back to him. And we have to address sin. I'm, I'm over my time. But I'm going to take just a few more minutes and try to give you some practical application of this because I, I'm afraid that something like I just preached, you can, depending, on how you're, depending on your experience and what you're dealing with, you could explain it away, you could ignore it, or, or you, might even, you might even misapply it. I want to try to help you use this. What do we actually do with the sins that we have encountered? The first thing I want to make sure you go get, get from this is we have to treat the wrong that's done against us as sin. That means we have to humbly call that sinner to repentance. We have to have a heart of concern for their soul, have a, heart of, have a focus on reconciling them to, maybe not to us. We may not be able to reconcile with them, honestly. Sometimes people have done some things that that relationship's never going to be the same, and we understand that. But at the very least, we need to allow them, open up the door of opportunity for them to be reconciled to God. We've got to have that. We have to treat it as sin. We can't, and, and, and let me just add this to you. Don't fight this battle alone. Some of y'all are sitting here trying to get forgiveness or trying to, give, trying to uh, forgive somebody that's done you wrong, that's done some sin against you, and you are wrestling with that by yourself. First of all, lean on your church family. Maybe you need one or two. That's what he says in 16, verse 16, 17. You've gone to that person and you can't get it right, still dealing with it. You might see some men or women in this church that you might be saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, come with me. I need some help with this. And you definitely need to seek the face of the Lord on this thing. You cannot do this by yourself. But before I go off of this, I'm just assuming these are what I'll call regular things. Some of y'all have dealt with some extraordinary circumstances. There have been abuses of power that you're having to fight against maybe a pastor or a, uh, somebody in your workplace that's done something wrong against you. There's assault, theft, fraud, crimes against children, adultery, murder. These are real things that people have done to each other that are sins against us that we can gloss over all we want to. We can act like, oh, that happens to other people. And I just need to figure out how to buck it up and, and forgive. No, 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 no. Those are real issues. And repentance is still the focus, not revenge. People still matter no matter how much evil they have done. And I say that knowing full well that some of the things that are listed are super evil. I can't even imagine why somebody would do some of those things. But regardless, who did Jesus die for? He died for the whole world. That includes those evil people that we're thinking about. But what if they don't admit or repent? That's the, that's the big thing. We go, well, I'm, I'm try, I went to them. I said that they didn't sin. I didn't, they, they, they didn't turn from it. They, they don't even admit that they even did anything wrong. 
Well, I want to tell y'all on the giving end, you can give forgiveness all day long. Jesus gave forgiveness. Did you know that? How many, how many people did he die for? Okay, my belief, I know some good people disagree with me on this, but I want to tell you, my belief is Jesus died for the whole world. That's right. Everybody. How many people is going to heaven? Again, I know good people disagree with me on this, but not everybody's going to heaven. What's the difference? Forgiveness was offered. It's not always accepted. It's not always accepted. So you, on the forgiving side, you can forgive but they will never receive your forgiveness until and unless they repent of their sin. Do you understand that? That is an important, if you hear nothing else I've said, please hear that. That person that has done you wrong, they will never, ever, ever receive your forgiveness. You can forgive, forgive, forgive all day long, but they'll never receive it until they repent of their sin. Acknowledge that they've done something wrong. Acknowledge that they've done sin against God. And turn from that wicked way. Until that happens, there's no forgiveness that's received. And can I also add this point? Particularly for things that are criminal. Sin is still sin. I don't care what the courts say. They could find him not guilty. They could find him. They could say, we don't, we don't think there's enough evidence to try and convict this person. Sin is still sin. Wrong is still wrong. There is a greater judge than any court in this land that when those people sin against you, you may say, well, nobody cares because the courts didn't agree with me. I want to point out to you that Jesus says we don't need to fear them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The point of that is to say, that man, that woman that has sinned against you, and I'm talking particularly about criminal behavior right now, by the way, I'm being very specific to crimes. That man, that woman that's sinned against you, if they won't at least admit they've done something wrong, regardless of the consequences, oh, I don't want to go to jail, oh, I don't want to pay the price, I don't want to pay the crime, you've got a bigger judge to face. Your job, sir or ma'am, your job is to show them there is a better way. You can forgive. <laughs> I feel like a hypocrite saying this because I, I just want to at least confess to y'all. I've got somebody in my mind right now that I, I have a hard time forgiving. I am. I'm just being honest. And that's, that's all I know how to do. have a hard time. But my hope is that that person, because there's, there's, there's no admitting, there's no repentance, my hope is that that person will ultimately come to a place where recognize that there's a God in heaven that no matter what the state of North Carolina says or doesn't say doesn't matter there's a God in heaven that he'll answer to by the way that's true of every sin I'm talking about a crime but I'm talking about any sin your sin you may think you're getting away with it I may think I'm getting away with it we face a God in heaven no matter who knows what do you understand that? But again, I want to, I need to say two more things on this and I'm done. Don't forget that even, especially in these extraordinary circumstances, that the relationship may shift. Don't, don't assume, and I think too many Christians, we kind of play this forgive and forget game. We, well, just, I got to get up. But no, there was a sin that was done. That sin needs to be dealt with. That sin needs to be handled seriously. There, there can be reconciliation. I believe in a God that does reconcile. But that may mean that that relationship is forever a thing.
effective. And that's that's just the way it is, because that's what sin does. Right? What sin does it, it damages, it hurts, it destroys. That's what sin does. And there may be a place, because especially some of these criminal things that I'm talking about, where there can be no relationship. But our job is not necessarily to reconcile them to us, but to see that they are reconciled to God. And from there, then amazing things can happen. And then lastly, I want to make sure you know that you can use and you need to use the resources God has given to you. This church has the power and the presence of God. I believe that. I think North, I'm specifically talking about North Beaver Baptist Church. I believe we have the power, we have the presence of God here. If you need help with forgiveness, there are men and women in this church. I want to put myself on that list as well, but there are other men and women in this church that can help you, that can go with you, that can pray with you, that can, can struggle with you, can cry with you. Please lean on your family. Second of all, if it is a crime, I, this is not the Bible. I'm just going to tell you if it's a crime, God has given us a government that we can give those things to. Do not feel like that if something happens, well, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to forgive it. Well, yeah, you're supposed to forgive it, but you're also supposed to tell the authorities that there was a crime committed. Tell them about it. Let them handle that. So make sure that you use the resources that are available to you. I'm way over my welcome, so I'm closing. Sin that's not addressed is sin that's going to kill it's going to kill the person who does the sin, but in this case, because they've sinned against somebody, it could actually kill someone who they've done it against. It's, it's a killing as in a metaphorical death, the death of the future, death of faith, death of hope, death, death of love, reputations and relationships, but it's an actual eternal death, death that puts us in a grave, death that puts us in hell, that this sin will kill. And our only hope for sin is Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. Seek the face of God. Some of you need salvation this morning. Would you come and I would like to show you from the scripture what it means to be saved. Some of you need forgiveness for a wrong that you have done. Won't you come and pray to God and ask for that repentance that you need. Some of you, which is what my message has been about, need help to forgive. I think it would be great if a whole bunch of y'all just come down here, if you need to stand on the front, sit on the front pew, come down here and talk to God about that person, that situation that you're wrestling with. Because even what I preach today, it's not a pat answer kind of thing. At least I hope you didn't hear a pat answer. It's a complicated thing. You need divine intervention. Why don't you come and ask for that divine intervention? Father, please help us to seek your face. Help us to lean on the church. And help us to find hope by addressing the sin in our church and in our families. I pray this in Jesus' name.